It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What is up, everybody? Thanks for hopping back into Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, just thanks so much. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And, and very excited to introduce today's guest from Barstool Sports. You know him there. You know him from Pick Central. And he's making a huge southeastern swing, trying to grow the game of college baseball here the next month. And so just so excited to have Ben Mitz, a.k.a. Barstool Mitzi, here to talk some SEC football and baseball. So, Mitzi, what's up, man? Oh, man, uh, doing great. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday morning. I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm in Oxford, Mississippi, which I hadn't got to come back here too much since I got hired by Barstool in uh, around Halloween. So, I mean, I'm thrilled to be here all week doing a bunch of content. Uh, kind of in recovery mode was it the dude in Starkville the last two days. A uh, wild series between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, certainly got heated between the fan bases, as it always does. But uh, kind of recovering this Monday morning. Glad to be in Oxford and looking forward to doing a bunch of content around here this week. Have you gotten any? Have you gotten any digs from from Brandon Walker on the on the series win from Mississippi State this weekend? Uh, he, hadn't, he hadn't said too much, but that post game video I did where all the state fans were going off on me, I think, was probably. You know, he felt he retweeted that, and uh, he, I think he enjoyed that one. <laughs> what, what was that atmosphere like at the dude this week, past weekend? I know a lot of a lot of fa- most fans aren't able still able to go to the games around the country, but Mississippi's allowing full capacity. What and it's such a great atmosphere for college baseball. Those two those two fields there. What what was that atmosphere like, and and what's that like for a, opposing fans being at the dude? <laughs> I got to tell you, I'd heard that it was the nicest park in America. And, you know, you kind of see it on TV and it looks pretty nice or whatever. Man, that place is unbelievable. I mean, the it, the architecture and just, uh, I mean, it felt like you were at a major league park, but smaller. Uh, I thought it was just, it, it was incredible. I got, I was out in right field with a bunch of state fans, but uh, most of them are, you know, kind of standard when it comes to the SEC fan bases. Most people are good people, but then the 15 or 20% that are rowdy kind of overshadow the ones that are nice. That's kind of a thing that's everywhere. You know, the few, the few bad apples, you know, everybody sees those and doesn't see all the people that are cool. Uh, for the most part, people were cool. I had a bunch of frat kids behind me that were giving me a bunch of hell. Uh, but, man, I got to tell you, you get a chance to get to that ballpark, do it. I mean, I, I was – so blown away uh, by how every, how nice it was. This is I've ever been to in college by far, or I don't say by far, but I'll say nicest. And uh, the atmosphere was amazing. I didn't go Friday night. I got to see Saturday. Saturday was one of my favorite Ole Miss games I've ever been to. Doug McKenzie threw a one hitter with twelve Ks. Ole Miss beat the shit out of them, nine to nothing. And so when I went going in this weekend, I mean honestly. I knew it was going to be a very tough series. I thought we'd lose two out of three. I just didn't want to get swept. I mean, you know how SEC baseball is. If you win or lose two out of three, it's okay. But, man, the sweeps just kill you, and especially on the road in Star Travel. So I was thrilled about the Saturday effort. Uh, big win for Ole Miss then. You know, got got some fun footage of me and a bunch of Ole Miss fans doing a big hottie toddy after that. You got the state wrestling natives a little restless. The Sunday game, Ole Miss was up 4-2 playing well. Uh, Drew McDaniel. Pitched well into the six, but bullpen really melted down, which has been a big problem uh, lately, other than their closer, Taylor Broadway. And State got five and six, ended up winning seven to five. Uh, just great atmosphere both days. The food 
been grilling out. I ate a lot of good deer sausage, burgers, and all kinds of, you know, tons of great food. And the weather was great. So overall, I'd say it was uh, more than a positive experience. And, you know, obviously, I know when I – look, you put on all this gear and you walk in Starkville, you know you're going to catch some hell. That's just part of the deal. And I was decked out in Rebel gear. And uh, I caught a little bit. But overall, you know, most of the fans were really nice and hosting me. And I, I would go back for sure. What it – what is, what is it like being in one of those? Because we, we all know the SEC's dominant conference in, in college baseball and have the, the last, they had four national champions in the last 10 years, Vanderbilt twice. The Pac 12, of course, has three. But is there, it seems like a lot of people around the country, baseball seems to be the most, most underappreciated of the three major sports, but the atmosphere is, is, it's just so great. How, do, how does the atmosphere compare in your mind to football and basketball? Man, I felt like those rowdy SEC baseball weekends just fit right in with football. I mean, obviously football's got 80,000 people and this is 10 or 15, but you know, you still feel that same rowdy uh, college vibe in the air. I mean, I, I mean, I felt like it compares favorable, at least in the state of Mississippi and LSU and Arkansas. I mean, it feels like, you know, a lighter version of football. I mean, nothing's SEC football, and you're not going to have 80,000, 90,000 fans. But I think SEC baseball is like a, you know, first cousin of it. I don't think SEC basketball is quite, you know, on that level. Uh, maybe it is at some schools, obviously, at Kentucky. And Arkansas is rowdy, too. But, uh, man, I think it compares, compares well. I mean, like I said, the numbers aren't near as big. But, man, it's uh, super rowdy. I think baseball, say this, people are a little more friendly at baseball games than they are at football games. So baseball's a little more laid-back vibe. People are drinking beer, grilling out, all that. And so it's not quite as intense. But, man, I, I think it's it's amazing stuff. I mean, I, I I absolutely love SEC baseball. And, you know, that's a big part of why I'm stepping up to try to run this college baseball for Barstool. There's no doubt about it. And, and as we're halfway through the SEC season now as we're, as we're talking today, what what have you seen from from the SEC? It's it's you know there's so many great teams. You talk about Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida's right there as well. Just what 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 are the your been main takeaways been from the first half of the SEC season, and what are you most looking forward to as we go down the stretch here? Well, I think none of it's really a surprise except for how good Tennessee's been. Um, I think the rest of it, you know, you thought the Mississippi schools would be good. I know South Carolina has been considered, you know, I guess it's considered a little bit of a surprise, but the the, the tradition South Carolina has, I mean, y'all made a super regional in 19 and, you know, Ray Tanner, I mean, South Carolina has got a phenomenal baseball tradition. So when they're good, it doesn't really surprise me. Tennessee does not. And Tony Vitalo, the old Arkansas assistant has come in and really is building something. And you, you know, you look at that Vandy Tennessee series and Vandy did win two out of three in Knoxville, but man, I saw tickets for 380, 400 to get to a baseball game in Knoxville, Tennessee. And to me, that's the biggest story in the SEC because you, you know, you knew. And well, actually, also on the reverse end of that, LSU being four and 11 and this being possibly the end of the Palmineri era, uh, that's the other biggest story to me too. Cause you look at LSU and six national championships and, you know, I, I, Certainly consider them one of the blue bloods of college baseball. And when you see a four and eleven number by them, uh, and they're actually up here in Oxford this weekend, and then they got Arkansas the week after, so it's not going to get any easier for the Tigers the next two weeks. Uh, that's a huge story to me too. And the thing that's weird about LSU, uh, they got a great freshman class. Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan are both great. I think Landon Marceau, their sophomore ace starters, pitching well. I mean, they've been a little snake bit. Jaden Hill 
Uh, their star first-round pitchers out for the year with the UCL tear, but it's still just hard to believe. I don't think they're as bad as their record is, but, man, I mean, you know a little more about this weekend because you got to see a lot of it up close and personal. Uh, man, y'all beat the crap out of them. South Carolina did in game three yesterday, and it's just it's wild to think that LSU, I mean, barring like – I mean, they've got to go – to make the NCAA tournament, I think you, you have to be 14-16. and 16. You might get in at 13-17. I mean, they got to go nine and six or ten and five just to have a shot to make the NCAA tournament. I, I personally don't think they're going to make it, and I think this is the end of the Maneri era. And I'm very curious to see who they're going to go after. Uh, Scott Wooden with their AD does a great job. I know they're going to fire hard if they go after a new coach. Yeah, I mean, I'm like you. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see LSU miss the tournament this year and Paul and Paul Maneri not being the coach next year. And then one of the stories that we've been following all SEC season and all the all the college baseball season is is Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter there at Vanderbilt. Can you think back? I know we had Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole back in 2010. We had 2010. Can can you think of any other like one two punches that you've seen that are as that are comparable to to Rocker and Leiter? And then what what would it mean for Vanderbilt and those guys? Because a lot of people are talking looking ahead to the Major League Baseball draft, talking about those two guys maybe going one and two in the draft. Well, like I said, Garrett Cole and Bauer is the only one I could think of because I remember that UCLA team won it all and they hit like 220. I mean, they literally won every game two to one, one nothing. I mean, that one, I mean, they were just so, so dominant. That's the only one I could think of in college baseball. In Major League, I guess Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling a little bit. The Diamondbacks have those guys that I won. Um, but, man, it's as dominant as I've ever seen. And uh, I know Jack Leiter allowed three bombs on Saturday, so I guess that proves he's actually a human being. Kumar Rocker lost against Georgia last week, and then he bounced back this week, just completely dominates Tennessee. You know, I've never seen a stronger one-two punch. And then when you look at this Vandy team, everybody obviously talks about those guys. But, man, they hit like 315 as a team, too. I mean, they can mash, dude. That team – is ridiculous. I know that they don't have the best third starter, but they're going to be awfully, awfully tough to beat. And, you know, it's been fun watching them pitch. I like Jack Leiter's electric on the mound, too. You know, his mannerisms and stuff are great. Uh, you know, I think it's appointment viewing anytime those two guys pitch. And uh, they're heading to Oxford here in a few weeks, too. That'll be something. There's no doubt about it. And and when you look at kind of down the stretch, who's a team, maybe it could be Florida, they're kind of hovering around the top tier or a couple other of those little middle tier teams in the SEC. But who do you project as we head into the second half in the SEC? Who do you, who are you kind of projecting to take that next step and could finish maybe in the top four or five in the league? Hmm, okay, man. So I need to look at the schedule. It's a lot of it has to do with schedules. Cause the thing with the SEC like you look at Ole Miss right now, they're nine and six, but they're the reason they're nine and six is because they went six and zero against Auburn and Bama. Everybody's beating up on Auburn and A and M, and Bama's playing a little better. But it seems like you know it's all about playing those weaker guys because it's so so much depth. Anything involving Florida, South Carolina, Vandy, Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi State, or Ole Miss is just murder right now. And so a lot of it's going to be schedule based. I mean, I think. <sighs> Let me think on this question. I mean, I do think LSU is not going to end up horrible. Not They're nowhere near top five. But they finished with Auburn, Bama, and A&M, so I think they could get hot late. I don't think it's going to be enough to make the tournament. I mean, I think people are just going to continue to beat up on each other. The Florida one's interesting because, like you said, they've been a little – I mean, by their standards, they've been a little down. And I'm curious to see if they 
really get it together and end up in the top five. I kind of think they won't. Tennessee, I don't think Tennessee's a fluke. I think Vitale has really, really built something. And I look forward to seeing them expand their stadium because they only sit like 4,000, 4,500. They're selling $400 tickets. It's time to, time to make that damn thing a little bigger, you know? Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at around the SEC, all these schools are making facility upgrades. I mean, Vanderbilt, you know, just announced a huge upgrade for football, basketball, and baseball. But when you look at Florida's got a new stadium. Oh, yeah. Alex Box has some new renovations to it at LSU. Just all it's it's like an arms race in the SEC to see who can have the nicest facilities. Yeah, it is. And I'm looking forward to, you know, other schools in the country kind of starting to do more and more of that as this game grows. But man, the SEC baseball is I mean, it's its own thing completely. And I mean, it's just so much fun to follow the passion of the fans. And I live up north now, you know, being at Barstool and living in New York, they can't believe it. Like, his Northeast College baseball is like nothing. UConn's like one of the better American teams is like it. And they just can't – like, they're seeing all these highlights because I'm tweeting out a lot of highlights and stuff. And they're they're literally like they can't – they literally had no idea what was going on. Like, they saw the beer shower last week in Oxford. They got like a million views, and they just – they've never seen anything like it. It was just nuts. And uh, that's why I'm just trying to use the spotlight at Barstool to really try to push this nationwide – so far, a lot of people are, um, you know, I'm getting a lot of Barstool fans that, you know, are watching these games and really enjoying it. Well, there's no doubt about it. And kudos to you for, for, for doing that. Cause base, you know, I, I love baseball. I mean, I grew up, grew up playing it, but it seems, it always has always seems like to me that it's been the most underappreciated, but I'm glad to see uh, the, you know, the spotlight getting on it a little more and kind of, and that Southeast is, is a hotbed for baseball. And then you have the Pac-12 out there out west. I know a lot of a lot of people here on the East Coast don't get a chance to watch them an awful lot, but it's kind of like basketball in March Madness, where where the Pac-12 was so dominant. But I mean, who wants to stay? I mean, I, I'm getting kind of old now. I mean, I don't want to stay up till ten thirty no. watching games. No, that's the, well. The problem is the Pac-12. Those games aren't on the Watch ESPN app, and that's what drives me nuts. Is like that Watch ESPN app's got ACC and Big Twelve, and hell, they got all the small ones. I'm a fan of Louisiana Tech baseball, who's number 14 right now. I used to cover them when I did sports radio in Shreveport, Louisiana. And, like, I get to watch some of their games, but the Pac-12 ones aren't on that app. They've really screwed up. they got to get on that Watch ESPN app. And what I'm trying to do, I mean, it sucks to say this, but, like, I'm engaging with the fan bases that care. And some of the Pac-12 ones do. Oregon State and Oregon definitely do. And But, like, you know, UCLA, for example, has such a great program. They put 600 people in the stands. Like, if they don't care, then, I mean, it doesn't help to grow the game, you know. And so I'm really kind of going after – I'm going after a lot of those Texas schools, too. They care a lot there. Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, you know, all those schools are really big baseball schools, too. So I'm trying to, you know, pay some attention to those guys as well. Well, when you talk about those Texas schools, you got Texas there, the top of the rankings, Texas Tech. TCU, then kind of looking outside of the SEC, it can be, you know, looking at the ACC, Big Ten, however you want to go with it. But who are the teams that are catching your eye right now that have the most potential outside of the SEC to make a super regional, make an Omaha type run? There's, you know, we talk about those Texas schools. East Carolina is a surprise. They're they're probably going to end up being a host. You got Louisville, 
Louisiana Tech, as you mentioned, and even Pittsburgh. I mean, who saw Pittsburgh? No, the Pittsburgh thing, I've been following that, and that's one of the craziest. Because you look at – and then Notre Dame's having a great year, too. And, you know, you look at ACC baseball, and you certainly – like, Louisville's been great for a good while now. McConnell's done a phenomenal job. You know, you usually think of Miami and Florida State, these traditional powers. And, you know, North Carolina had a great run. Virginia had a great run where they won titles and stuff. Virginia did. And now you see Pitt and Notre Dame doing well, and you're like, what the hell is going on? I know Paul Maneri did get Notre Dame to the College World Series before he went to LSU, and he had Jeff Smarja, but uh, it's wild to see Pitt baseball. That's uh, certainly not something I knew that was coming. But, you know, I got to just win a doubt, give credit to the Blue Bloods. I mean, Texas Tech's made it to Omaha a ton lately. So has Schlossnagel and TCU. Texas seems like they've got it on the right track. They hired the former Tulane coach a couple years ago. Uh, He's doing really well. So, I mean, you kind of just got to give the benefit of the doubt to those Blue Bloods, Louisville as well. Um, those are kind of some of the ones I, I would say. Who are, When you talk about teams that are kind of lower down in the rankings but still still making a push, you got teams like Old Dominion, Charlotte, Indiana, yeah, in, Indiana State. Right now. Yeah, I mean, those, what I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to call them kind of mid-major teams. I know they're – there's a, a huge debate on what's a mid-major in baseball and who's not. I mean, just look at here at the state, Coastal Carolina. I mean, they play in a mid-major conference, but they do have a national championship. So I don't really know if you could call them a mid-major, but who are, who are some of those kind of mid-major teams that you're looking at? Well, like you mentioned, Tech. The thing is, I'm biased a little bit. I, I, I admit it because I covered Louisiana Tech for four years, and they had a tornado destroy their stadium in April of 2019, and they opened a brand-new park this year. It's 2,500 people, and so I'm friends with the coaching staff and some of the players, and so I'm following that really, really close. And I swore if they host a regional, I'm going to make a game, and I just feel like I have to uh, after covering it. So, I mean – but they're really good. I mean, they went two and two against Arkansas and Ole Miss, almost won two out of three against Arkansas. They're no freaking joke. And so they're kind of – I think they're number one on the mid-major rankings uh, right now. But you mentioned Old Dominion and Charlotte. Uh, that's a couple more. And then, you know, you always look out west, those California teams. I mean, you always know Long Beach State and Fullerton and all those teams are always pretty good too. So you got to give them – you can't can't write any of those guys off. They always have great pitching staffs. Most, most teams, their goal – to get to the postseason is to host a regional. They want to be in those top 16. But when you talk about a team like Louisiana Tech that is on the is on the fringe of hosting a regional, probably needs, you know, a few more wins. But how how big of a deal, how what comes into play? We got this predetermined site thing going on now where the teams have already placed their bids to host a regional. But Louisiana Tech now, they may not be good enough to host a regional right now, but at the end of the season, you look at them and say, hey, they're a top 16 team, but the re- but the sites have already been predetermined three weeks prior to Selection Monday. So what are, what are kind of the pros and cons do you see of this decision by the NCAA to kind of do these predetermined sites? I mean, I understand they're just being careful with the COVID thing. I actually think Tech already went all in and placed a big bid, and I think Tech may get rewarded because they built this new park. You know, I, th- I think they have a good shot to actually get it because the NCAA is going to reward them for investing in college baseball. Uh, and so I feel, you know, I actually feel pretty pretty dang good uh, about them. But the overall thing, you know what it does is it, I'm curious as how it's going to affect conference tournaments because now these conference tournaments aren't going to be playing for regionals and everybody's wearing out their pitching staffs for the NCAA tournament. I'm wondering 
if you're going to see top aces maybe held out a little bit of conference tournaments. I think that could be the biggest factor because, you know, you look at, you know, South Carolina could be on the fringe of having a national seed. Well, if it doesn't matter if they win the SEC tournament or not on it, then why are they going to burn up all their aces when you're looking at an NCAA run? So I feel like that may be where we see it the most is just, is like how do coaching staff manage their pitching staff during conference tournament week? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that because, I mean, if if, I, if I'm if i Vanderbilt or, or you know, if I'm looking at, at Tennessee, maybe that's going to be a regional host – Looking some of these other Texas schools. I mean, I I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to pitch my aces. Kind of burn their arms out before. I mean, I know they they obviously want to get some work in. So maybe there's a, a happy medium to where you see these guys for maybe three or four innings in the conference tournaments. Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. But I feel like teams aren't going to go out to, go all out to win them like you used to see in the past. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And and kind of we talked a lot about baseball the last few minutes as we're kind of winding down here i want to switch over to the football side of things i know you're you're probably going to be attending the the old miss spring game this weekend yeah, but, right. oh yeah but um how, what is a good and i want to talk about old miss and then move it to the rest of the sec west but what's a good stepping stone for lane kiffin they had a, a really nice year last year all 10 game sec schedule but What's a great stepping stone here in year two? And what are the kind of storylines you're looking out for? You lost Elijah Moore. He's probably going to be a first round pick in the draft. And then the, the defense was, was just really bad last year, but they've, <laughs> they've got a bunch of recruits in to, to kind of fix that a little bit. So what, what do you think is a good stepping stone for Ole Miss heading into this year? I think, look, you were five and five. I always jokingly call it the most electrifying five and five season in sports history last year. I mean, it was like literally. I mean, the season had it all, and they ended up five hundred. You know, uh, but I, I think eight and four. I think is fair. I think you keep getting, you get a little better on defense. You have a high powered offense. Schedule's tough. It's always going to be tough in the SEC West. Uh, I think the big thing is continuing to you know winning on the road and start bowl would be a huge thing uh, to beat Mississippi State. But I, I'm, you know, this is a team look. The offense has got some serious, serious firepower. Even losing Elijah Moore, I love the running backs. I think the offensive line plays good. Matt Crowell led the nation in total offense. I mean, I feel pretty, pretty dang good that they're going to score a lot of points. It's just, can the defense go from like 130th to like 70th, you know? I mean, they don't have to be good. They just need to be like marginally competent and they'll improve a lot. And I think that's very possible because I actually like the defensive coaching. You know, people are getting on the coaching staff. I thought it wasn't the coaching staff's fault at all. I mean, you look at last year, the NCAA sanctions were all over the upperclassmen. That team had no depth. And you got an offense that's going super fast. I mean, I don't know. I think the defense could improve a lot and still not even be that good. But I'm I'm saying eight and four, nine and three would be incredible. But uh, I think eight and four would be a solid step forward, and then keep the recruiting. You know, they pulled the a top 17, 18 recruiting class. You know, keep you know building momentum, building forward. But I, look, I think they're building something for real. I know everybody always keeps saying Lane Kiffin's going to leave and all that, but man, he owns this program. Ole Miss pays him almost five million a year. I mean, it's not a money thing, and the, the facilities here are good. I mean, I'm not saying they're the best in the world, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I think he, I do think he'd leave if it was like LSU or Bama or, you know, some just super job. But, you know, I don't, I don't think he's in any, my bad. Uh, my bad. I clicked off something. I don't think he's in any hurry to leave here like people think. I, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be here 10 years, but I think, I think he could be here another three or four. He's got the social media, uh, uh, he's got a monopoly down there on the social media in Oxford, too. 
Oh, yeah, man. Well, it's been fun for us because he loves when Dave Portnoy loves Kiffin, too. And that's obviously how I kind of got hired. And so, in Lane, I met him face to face. He don't say much, man. He's real aloof, but he's a monster behind that Twitter. And so, uh, you know, he's really, I mean, we're, we're kind of, kind of definitely the, the social media team and the, that relates to people uh, a lot in this day and age. This younger generation grows a lot of fans. And, you know, I'm seeing it all over Ole Miss, man. Our donations are up. You know, tons of people are, you know, kids are more kids are applying and enrolling. I think this could be a golden era for Ole Miss next three or five years. I mean, I think I think what he does is is outstanding on social media because I mean all the I mean all the recruits are on it. That, that's what you're oh, communi- yeah. that's what you're communicating with the guys these days. I mean, it's sitting two thousand anymore, and then a lot of a lot of these old school guys are like, "Well, I don't want to get on social media and recruit." Well, you have to now. No, no, yeah, that's the way the game works, man. And Lane's embraced it. I think, like I said, Lane, I don't think he likes talking as much. I think he loves just being behind the just punching himself. I think that maybe appeals to him more. Looking at uh, at uh, across the state there in Starkville at Mississippi State, what what do you see from that program? I know there's a little bit a lot of attrition with Mike Leach and the right roster. Maybe they can take a step up here in year two, but they they gotta they gotta be able to run the football. I mean, you, you just can't be in an air raid all the time in the SEC and, and only run one or two running plays in the conference. Well, I think they're going to get a lot better. I mean, I think you mentioned the attrition. You know, you look at Dan Moe and Joe Moorhead, Mike Leach, it's three completely different styles of playing offense. And so, you know, that roster construction was really messed up when Leach got there. And so I thought you had to give it two or three years. And I know that's not something that you usually hear in college football now because this ain't a game of patience anymore. But I expect Leach, you know, he, you know, everywhere he's gone the first year or two is kind of bad and then they take a step forward. Uh, I expect them to, to do that. I don't know. This year, I think they'll be better. I don't think they'll be necessarily good. But um, I still think that he's the right hire and the right guy there. It's interesting, though, because State's never been an air raid team. That's always been a school that has fullbacks and tight ends and, you know, as a physical team. But the last you think of State, you think of physical offensive and defensive linemen. When you look at all the NFL guys they got, I mean, their D-line's been a factory. So I think they're going to get better. But I think Leach inherited way more of a rebuild than Kiffin did because for as much as Matt Luke got a lot of heat and deserved a lot of it, he he left Kiffin a really good sophomore class last year. And so, you know, Kiffin saw that job saying, hey, you know, I can step in here and we can at least be competitive. Whereas if he'd gone to Arkansas or State, it would have been a rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. That roster was definitely not as bad as public perception made it out to be. And just kind of looking at the rest of the West, Alabama's obviously going to be great. I mean, they're they're going to re, they're going to reload. They're they're not going to yeah. Win. Quarterback, I've been hearing so I'm really good friends with Josh Booty, the old LSU QB, and we did a lot of radio together. And his nephew played out in that Trinity League in California, and so he watched him play Bryce Young. He said that's the best high school offense he's ever seen. I mean, and I think Bryce Young is going to be a complete monster. So, I mean, no surprise there. Bama's going to keep being awesome. What do you what do you make of Arkansas and Sam Pittman in year two? He had a great building block. I mean, a lot of people projected them to get zero wins in the all SEC schedule last year, and they come out with three. Should have had four if you count that Auburn game. Yeah. But, but what he's taking a great stepping stone there at Arkansas. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what he's got is he did a great I love their coordinators. Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom are great. And I, I think that's a huge, huge part of it. The question with Arkansas is always, can they recruit at that top 15, top 20 level? I mean, I think you can build a solid, stable program, but I, I question the ceiling. 
just because of how tough the West is. Who ends up number two in the West? Could, could Ole Miss could possibly be there, but when you look at Texas A&M, I think they're going to spread it out a little bit more with Jimbo not having Kellen Mond there, having a more spread type a system. And then you got LSU. They still got to figure out their quarterback situation. I think it's probably going to be Max Johnson. But Coach O seems to to thrive in this underdog role. So who, who do you see there as maybe coming out second in the West? I'm going to say LSU. Um, I think last year a whole bunch of stuff went wrong. Uh, the co- I mean, the COVID thing, you don't want to make excuses, but, like, they won that national title, and then that weird year, I feel like – I don't know if players were really bought in last year. And then they had all the people opt out. And, uh, I, boy, the biggest mistake they made was who the hell thought T.J. Finley was better than Max Johnson those four games? I don't understand why that got, – got some real questions on who, how that decision was made. Max, he looked great. And so I think LSU is going to bounce back. And, you know, I don't think their national championship good. The big thing is how will Durante Jones do as a new defensive coordinator. But, you know, Dave Aranda recommended him. He comes from Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. You know, obviously knows a lot about defense. And if he's – they get their defense back to a good level, I think they're going to – I'll say them as number two. I mean, I always just give them a benefit of the doubt with how much talent they have. There's no doubt about the, it. The Auburn thing's interesting to Brian Hart. Don't really know what's going to happen with Auburn, to be honest. I don't. I, I love. I really did like the Brian Harson hire, and especially when you look at his staff, kind of getting a mix of SEC experience versus a lot. And he also brought in a bunch of outside blood as well. So I think those fresh ideas will probably do, fare him well there at Auburn. Derek Mason's a really good defensive coordinator hire too. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. What do you? What do you make? Last thing I got for you for move on to the last thing, but. Texas A&M with Jimbo, he's, he's he was on the verge of the playoff last year. How many more years do you think he has to 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 kind of beat Alabama, make the playoff before Texas A&M uh, boosters and all that down there? They got you know they got so so many rich people down there. But when when do they kind of get get tired of a little bit of mediocrity there? Man, I think they're thrilled with how last year went. They only lost one game. They almost made the playoff. You know, they were the second-best team in the SEC West. I think, you know, when you look at A&M, that's a program that's underachieved historically. And, I like, last year it was weird because it was COVID stuff. But, man, that was one of their best seasons in school history. So, I think right now they're thrilled. And uh, also, the thing with him, too, look out for Haynes King, quarterback. He was from Longview, East Texas. I saw him in high school because he used to be when I was in that area. Uh, man, this kid, he was number one dual threat quarterback in the country, and they're super, super excited about him. And, you know, if Jimbo develops him, look out. So I, I think they're thrilled with Jimbo, to be honest. I, I think he's got plenty of time, especially coming off the year he had last year. I think he's, they're, they're pumped. Yeah, I think, I think so too. I think, I think having the year last year definitely bought him a lot more time there. Well, he's got a 10 year deal too. So, oh, yeah. Hey, I mean, we got, you see, the cut. See, this is when I, I start thinking about it. I get kind of frustrated with just looking at other fan bases and things like that. You got to, got to give your coaches time. I mean, South Carolina wanted to get rid of Steve Spurrier in 07 and 08. And then 2011, 2012, 2013, you had the best yeah. years that you've ever had, 11 win seasons. So those teams are just, they, they just want to pull the plug too fast. I mean, they're, people are expecting everything right away now. No, that's 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 just the what the society we live in. Everybody's on so everybody's got an opinion on social media now. You give everybody a voice, and so you know that's the way it is. And it's interesting because you see 
you know, look at Scott Drew and Baylor in college basketball. I mean, he, he's been there since 2003. His, like at the end of his third year, he was like 20 and 50 or something. And so, uh, no, I agree with you, man. You got to take the long leash, but it's hard for fans. I mean, it's uh, not something that's easy. Yeah, the, the Twitterverse, everybody, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's everybody's an expert nowadays. But but kind of finishing up with you, last thing, and we're here with Barstool, man. See, it's been a, a great conversation. And we started this thing on, on Crunch Time Plays a couple weeks ago. It's called Fried Chicken Fridays. This is Friday's episode. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of places. You've been in the South a long time. What are some of your favorite fried chicken places here in the South? I mean, Gus's in Memphis is definitely one of the ones that comes to mind. That spicy, but they kind of franchised it out a little bit. But the original, they, I, I, I'm a big, I'm a big Gus's fan. I think that's the first one that really uh, comes to my mind. I mean, you think Carolinas? I know everybody loves it's it's fast food, but like Bojangles and Chick Fil A. Obviously, I had a Bojangles biscuit at the Charlotte Airport the other day that I thought was good. Um, but I, I think. I mean, I'm I'm ready to eat some soul food this week in Oxford, Mississippi. I can tell you that. You got me thinking about it now. Um, New Orleans. I want to give some shout outs to a couple. Uh, a couple Dookie Chase in New Orleans fried chicken, super fire. Got to make sure I mention that one. Uh, that's a legendary, legendary place. So I want to make sure I mention mention that one too. I definitely got to get there next time I go to New Orleans because I'm just used to going to Cafe Du Monde and getting me a couple of beignets from oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of so I lived in New Orleans from 09 to 14 and uh I'm kind of I'm I'm big Saints and Pelicans fan huge New Orleans food music culture fan so I'm kind of running Barstool New Orleans too and so uh, I'm doing a lot a lot you'll be seeing me doing a lot of stuff down there in the next couple of years as far as contests that's awesome man. and it's been so great having you tell tell everybody where they can find you on social media and and your opportunity just to plug anything that you're doing as well Oh man, at Barstool Mincy, M-I-N-C-Z-Y on Twitter and Instagram. I run everything through those, those, those accounts. Um, and uh, I do, like, I do after dinner days. Uh, I'm on Pick Central from the YouTube channel. We used to be on Sirius. We're not anymore. A lot of people are asking where we are. We're on that YouTube channel uh, every day. But, man, honestly, I'm just all over all the Barstool stuff. Uh, love and living in Manhattan. And uh, just appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, there's no doubt about it. Thanks so much for coming on. And, and follow, follow Messi because after dinner, man, it's like that, that's one of the best things that I've <laughs> ever seen. I mean, I, I love watching that every night. Yeah, we're going to gonna be some fun ones this week in, in Oxford, I can tell you that. Because I think it's really when I – the exciting thing for me is getting on the road. Now that we're kind of coming out of COVID, uh, I'm I'm going to be all over the SEC and all over the country, and I think this thing. I mean, it's going real well with me for Barstool already. But wait, wait till we get the show on the road. Really, going to do the damn thing. And well, if you want to check out Missy, you can check him out on social media. Check him out nationwide, and and just so thankful to him for coming on. And thanks to you for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays with Barstool Missy. God bless everybody. <laughs>